Before I begin today, I want to say a couple words. One is that I, I always love reading that gospel, especially when it comes to that God knows every hair on your head, because he must know me fairly well, I guess, because there's only one or two up here, if, if any. Um, the other is that on the eve of my anniversary, um, Susan and I will be married 24 years tomorrow, and uh, Patrick was at that wedding and, and was, and it took, yes, and we're still happily married even under the stress of renovating a condominium, um, but we are so, um, so thankful to be here at Christ Church, and we are so thankful to uh, be a part of this greater family. And Susan, thank you for your tireless support of, of who I am and who you've made me become um, and helped me become, and I love you and thank you for that. And then on this Father's Day, I'm so deeply honored to be the father of Koval and Cooper. And um, Koval, if you're watching out there, Cooper, you are at nine o'clock. Um, but if you're watching out there, Koval, I love you and thank you for being a great son and Cooper for being a great daughter. Extremely proud of the two of you. So with that, I want to share a story that about five years ago, I was called to Washington, D.C. Um, for a church meeting. Um, I was currently serving as the dean of the cathedral in Oklahoma, and um, we were gathering some people there for a meeting. And I didn't know the agenda of the meeting until I got there and realized that I had, on the second day of being there, a whole afternoon off. Um, and so my brother and sister-in-law lived in Virginia right outside of D.C. at the time. And so um, on that morning of the second day when I had the afternoon off, I called Jason and said, you know, hey, you know, are, are you able to get away from work? I would love to go explore D.C. a little bit. And he was not able to get to work away from work. And so but Shannon was able to to get away and she came and picked me up and we decided to go to the National African-American History Museum. It was newly opened, um, probably about six or eight months that it had been opened, and um, we were looking forward to going. And we got there, and there was no line, and we were real surprised by that. And so we went up to the security officer that was guarding the empty line, and um, we said, you know, are there tickets available? Can we get in? And he said, oh, no, that line ended about 7 o'clock this morning um, with all the tickets being um, handed out for the day. He said, you can reserve a ticket, but it will be about six to nine months from now that you would have to come back to actually view uh, the collection in the museum. Um, I was kind of taken aback by that. I didn't realize that it was such a, a popular um, venue. And, um, but at the same time that that interchange was happening with the security guard, uh, a young black couple came up and they had four pieces of paper in their hand and they handed two of those pieces of paper to the security guard um, and they were two tickets. And the security guard immediately turned and gave those tickets to Shannon and I. And so my sister-in-law and I were able to go in and view the museum. The great thing is that the young couple that gave us the tickets, the gift of, of just being able to go inside, um, they kind of hung out with us throughout um, our, our time that we were touring, especially at the beginning part, and they were sharing stories with us of, of their own life and, and what it was like to live as a black American, and, um, and that was just so interesting to me. 
When you arrive into the main part of the museum, it's this big cavernous space, and it's very light and bright and um, a beautiful um, kind of beautiful venue above ground. And you take an escalator downstairs, and you enter into a, a 30 foot by 30 foot by 30 foot cube elevator. It's all glass, and so um, you go down six floors beneath the surface of the earth, and um, um, you feel like you're traveling back in time because you really are. Um, it gets darker and darker as you travel down, down, and down, and along the walls of, of the elevator shaft are dates and um, events that have happened throughout our um, U.S. history related to um, African Americans and, and some of the most significant dates. And so it was very moving to, um, literally moving to go down um, six floors and you arrive with kind of a jolt of the elevator and you're able to get out and, and the, first, um, the first part of the museum is about the beginning of the slave trade. And, and how that all started and what that all meant and, and how the uh, United States was formed around the economy, was formed around um, the slaves that came into our country that were brought here and what happened to them in Africa and the travel across the Atlantic. It was very moving and powerful and, and you, you walk up the six floors that you just went down in, in kind of a, a spiral and viewing um, different um, parts of the museum and parts of our history as you go and I got to about the fifth floor, I think it was, and it was um, 1921 was the day, um, the, the year, and it was about the Tulsa Race Massacre, which, you know, I had lived in Oklahoma at that time for about four or so years, and I had never heard anything about the Tulsa Massacre. Nothing. No one talks about it in, in, um, in Oklahoma. Um, it's not even in the history books um, that are taught in the schools in, in Oklahoma. And so I paused there and, and read every bit of what was talked about in, um, in that section of the museum, and it was, it was pretty jarring. It disturbed me and, and moved me in a way that um, I, I really felt like when I got back to Oklahoma, I needed to take the trek from, from Oklahoma City to Tulsa and walk the Greenwood District of, of Tulsa just to see where this horrific event had taken place. On May 31st and June 1st of 1921, the, uh, a white mob went into the black neighborhood of Greenwood, which is, was known as the Black Wall Street, a very wealthy, the wealthiest black neighborhood um, in the whole United States, um, where people were um, prestigious doctors, nurses, attorneys, economists, and investors, and um, a very prosperous area. Um, and a white mob came in and began to burn down that part of the city. And um, overhead, private um, planes were flying over and dropping kerosene on top of that in order to make the, the fire grow even more significantly. It's known that about 350 people lost their lives in that massacre that day, and, um, but all of them were buried in unmarked graves, so the number is, is unknown to this day. And, and close to about 10,000 people were then um, taken away from, from Greenwood and placed in internment camps until they could find um, their own places to live. A horrific day in our history that, again, no one knows a whole lot about and, um, and is not taught um, uh, in Oklahoma. 99 years later, in the legislature of Oklahoma in 2020, this past legislative session, um, 
the lawmakers of Oklahoma passed a law that says that the history books that, um, that high school students and middle school and elementary students will read has to include now the, the history of what happened on May 31st and June 1st, 1921. It took us 99 years to get there, but finally, um, some of the students in Oklahoma and hopefully beyond will begin to learn about this horrific day. But I was disturbed by all of that, and as I was reading the, the lesson, the gospel lesson for this day, the, the language that Jesus uses in this gospel as he's teaching his disciples what it's going to be like to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's really what he's saying. He's called the disciples together, and now he's saying to follow along what we, we learned last week. He's saying, this is what it's going to be like. There's going to be trials and tribulations. There's going to be challenges. People are going to disagree with you. Um, you're, you're not going to be loved by everybody, um, but there's also going to be great times where the, the message of God's peace and grace and love, which Jesus represents and the salvation that he represents, will actually take hold in people, and people will, will come to know this incredible gift that Jesus is by God to the world. And so he's challenging his disciples and saying that, and, and saying it in a way that could be kind of disturbing. There's language about slave and master. There's the, the language about the, the sword and that he wasn't going to come to bring peace, but he came to bring a sword. Um, but all of that is, I think, there to, to actually make an impression on us to help us realize that, you know, the whole slave and master piece is, and, and teacher and, and learner and student is, is this whole idea that we're all in this together. Jesus wanted everyone to get on to, um, get into this message of peace and love and grace that he brought and salvation. And so that, that piece I could, I could wrap my head around, but then I got to that, that place in, in, of, of the whole sword idea and the whole idea that Jesus didn't bring, came to bring peace. And with what's going on in our country right now, and in light of what um, I've been reading and learning related to uh, the Tulsa massacre and the plight and, and struggles of African Americans in our country, I was thinking to myself, what does that sword look like? What does Christ's sword look like? And I came to the realization it doesn't look like the white mob on May 31st and June 1st of 1921. What it looks like is a, a known as the cross, piercing my heart and soul and removing from me the sin of, of that, that keeps me from being fully a disciple. That, that, that Jesus has come to redeem me of, of those things that I hold dear that might hurt other people. And I was really convicted by that this week, that, that really there are things within our culture and society that, um, that Jesus is saying to us, we, we've got to, to pierce them with the sword of God's compassion, love, grace, and, and, and salvation and forgiveness. That there are parts of, of our, our culture and our systems that that maybe need to be disturbed a little bit as we're disturbed in, in this time of COVID-19 and, and an economic downturn and in the midst of Black Lives Matter, as we're disturbed a little bit by all of this, that, that maybe our, we need to ask the question, are we disturbed enough to do something about it? 
These systems that we have lived within that are oppressive to some of our population, are we willing to stand up and say that this needs to be changed? Are we willing to stand up and say, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that that Jesus is about love and compassion, grace, equality, and equity? What does that look like for us? And and so those questions flooded into me, and and I don't know if I have the answers at all uh, about what this will look like, but I know that um, this is my Father's world, and and I can trust in God, and that God will lead us through. And I do know this, and I want to challenge you this day with this as well, that in this time of, of separation, in this time of, of being at home, in this time of great strife and pain within our country and the world, in this time of health crisis and illness, in this time of, of struggles within our economy, which, which experts are saying is going to take close to nine years to recover from, And within this time where we are struggling with the racial tensions uh, of of Black Lives Matter and and what that means and and claiming our history and owning that more and more and and looking at what that looks like in the future, I want to partner with you and, and work together to say to ourselves, what is it that before this all happened that we just took for granted? And what is it that we need to take the sword of Christ's love and grace and and pierce it out of our lives and and make room for new possibilities where Jesus can transform us as his loving disciples? Now, I can't do that for you. Um, You can't do that on your own as well. We need Christ in us to be able to do that. We need to figure out how we can pause for a moment in this time and really ask the tough questions of how, you, how, how have I been complicit in these systems, how have I enjoyed these systems, and how have those oppressed others, and what might need to change. It starts in my own heart, in your own heart, in our souls and in our minds. God can transform us, Jesus can transform us, and when we say that we are disciples of Jesus, We can take up our cross and sacrificially love like Jesus did. We can forgive like Jesus did. We can walk through these tough times with trust and confidence that God is with us, and we then can come out the other side with a deeper knowledge of how to love and live as Christians in this world. And may we never forget or push underneath the surface the history that is behind us so that we can learn about how we can go forward from this day. Amen.